from the Fox News Podcast Network. I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. And welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm very excited. I'm joined by my dear friend and the co-founder of the Nielsen Swader Integrated Marketing Communications Team, who also happens to be a phenomenal mother and a beauty guru. Maura Nielsen and I started our relationship through mentoring, really, uh, and at a networking event. And she wanted to get to know me. I was completely charmed by her, and she had read And the Good News Is, and we have been really good friends ever since. Maura is often sought after for mentorship. She has incredible expertise. She's very generous with her time. And one of the things that she has taught me is that you can continually evolve and also stay true to yourself. And I think she's absolutely amazing. So here's Maura. Okay, Maura, you're one of my favorite people, so this will be like a catch-up with an old friend. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, and where you're living now. Yeah. Uh, So I grew up in the Midwest um, most of my life. I, like you, uh, totally Midwesterner and then found herself uh, transplanted here to the East Coast. Um, University of Kansas uh, Jayhawk graduate um, as a journalism major. And, you know, my my ambition in life was to was to move to New York. That's really all I ever wanted. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. That was when I was 11 years old. I remember we were traveling to uh, to Manhattan and I was so I my parents described it as I I pouted and made such a fuss because I was so upset that we were tourists and that I was not a local. And so and and I practically ruined that trip for for everyone, as any 11 year old girl (laughs) ultimately does. Yeah. And so I found myself in um, uh, as a graduate of the of the uh, journalism school in communications and really built. Uh, you know, a career within within PR first on the the agency side at major, you know, sort of global um, uh, uh, public relations agencies, and then ended up kind of doing what we call going from agency life to in-house at L'Oreal Paris, where I was for well over a decade in various roles within marketing communications, um, ultimately leading the integrated marketing communications uh, division for L'Oreal Paris North America. How did you get involved in in the beauty industry? How did, yeah. was that part? Were you at a PR agency where you had a client that led you to that? Yeah, yeah. I was at um, I was at Manny and Selvage and Lee working on a lot of the P and G business, and then transferred to a smaller boutique sort of agency where we oversaw all of the J and J portfolio of, of beauty. Uh, clients like Neutrogena, Avino, Rock, Purpose, Ambi. So that was really my foray into beauty. And it was that agency that really helped to ultimately, you know, sort of slingshot me into 
you know, the number one, you know, biggest, largest, you know, beauty company in the world. Yeah. And, and, and beauty is such a dynamic industry on so many levels. It's, it's nuanced. Um, it, it is full of such incredibly passionate, devoted people. And it's so democratized. Unlike, you know, I would say fashion that is sort of, you know, froth with, you know, just, you know, just intimidation or, you know, um, it, it's not accessible. You know, beauty really is this, you know, very, um, uh, as I well, recession proof uh, in terms of where we are from an economy standpoint, because every, because it's accessible to everybody and everybody can can take advantage of it. And that's what drew me in. And just, you know, the idea that you, you know, truly can transform yourself in terms of how you feel and look and, you know, the brand L'Oreal Paris sort of was instrumental in the tagline because you're worth it. And the value and meaning of worth uh, was so transformative for me. And it's why I, I spent so many years on that beloved brand. And it, it really hooked, you know, it, it hooked into me. And I really loved the powerful message that it, uh, it, it expressed. I remember very specifically, once I asked you to tell me a little bit about doing international communications for a brand like L'Oreal and how it was different in different parts of the world. Um, and I remember that like it was yesterday, how you, um, well, I'll let you tell people a little bit about that if you don't mind, because I thought that was so interesting as women see themselves differently or what they want to accentuate in terms of their um, beauty d- is different depending on where you are in the world. It it totally is. And, and, you know, but, you know, what was so great about L'Oreal is the sense of worth, no matter where you were in the world, you know, women wanted to have a sense of worth and and value. And, you know, you, when you think about, for instance, the China market, right. And their obsession with SPF and their obsession with, you know, youthfulness and, and, and beauty um, it's, it's quite dynamic versus, you know, other parts of like the LATAM community that is about, you know, incredibly bold and vibrant um, looks, uh, hair, is I mean, un, you know, like the hair market is just. Uh, Didn't you say there's something like 13 steps in Brazil? Wouldn't you do your yes, hair? yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And it's one of the fastest growing markets in terms of, you know, new entrants into the beauty category, which is, as you can, it's explosive in terms of all of the sort of new indie brands that are really coming in in a, in a big way. Many of them are out of uh, Brazil. What other trends are you seeing that are interesting to you? Because you, uh, we're going to get to your career transition in a second, but I am yeah. curious in terms of just over looking maybe even across the world or, or across the types of products that are coming out. What are the trends that you see maybe also coming out of the pandemic? Has it changed? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll talk maybe beauty and then I think if... if do kind of a double click on kind of the, the modern day workforce, right? In terms of, of how that's evolving. Mm-hmm. But from a, a beauty standpoint, I mean, skincare just continues to be on fire. And that was a complete result of the pandemic, right? You you had you had your your face was was very much masked. So the idea of, you know, the, the lip category suffered, you know, quite quite substantially. And so skincare, which had always been building and growing from a, a, a market and a share value, really started to become quite explosive. And so Skincare continues to be one of the the hottest categories within the beauty market. The other thing you're seeing is real innovation in terms of packaging. You know, the the, the pandemic also, you know, there's this, this sort of saying that people are, are are toying, which is hygiene is the new sustainability. Meaning, you know, how the product is actually packaged and, and the delivery system in which it's um, intended is 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 quite innovative. And so you're really starting to see that again in in, in skincare predominantly. So I think skincare 
here is certainly, you know, here to stay. I think you're seeing a lot of, you know, new indie uh, indie brands. And that's a real result of TikTok. I mean, it's, it's fundamentally single-handedly driving the category in terms of uh, performance and conversion from a, a marketing and sales standpoint. So, you know, it's just, it's a rich environment to talk about beauty, to talk about before and after, to talk about sensoriality. And so, you know, that was a real sort of, you know, I would say market lead uh, or uh, innovation um, from from the pandemic. It is interesting that a lot of, you know, the people who are listening to this are probably not teenagers, right? They're people like maybe uh, in a career transition or they're wanting to move up or maybe they're just uh, big fans of The Five or America's Newsroom, which would be great. I'm curious about the impact of social media from two perspectives. One is the business side of things, as you were just describing, and just how somebody who could all of a sudden become a influencer and yeah. make millions of dollars. And then some people think, well, that's the career that I want. How how possible is it to just become an Internet influencer or a beauty influencer? Well, it's 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 incredibly hard. I mean, I, one one of my uh, dear friends is the CEO of the Big Brothers Big Sisters, and and actually the whole state of New Jersey. And you know, one of the things he was saying, unfortunately, was that you know, twenty years, fifteen years ago, you know, uh, sort of you know, underserved communities and and, and children thinking. You know, how do they get a kind of a step up? It used to be that they thought that their, you know, point of access was going to be to be an athlete or, you know, some sort of a, a, a celebrity athlete or star of some kind. Now the answer is, oh, I'll just be an influencer. And it's incredibly misleading and it's incredibly difficult. I mean, to be a true influencer with, you know, real gravitas in terms of your, you know, revenue and to, to operate as a, as a true independent entity is is very very hard um the only way you can really win is if you're first and fast so for those that enter tiktok you know i would say two years ago their likelihood of being a tiktok phenomenon is is much better than those that are just entering you know the 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 medium today so it's it's i i would always look at dissuading young people from thinking that that's a a career path i would make it your your side hustle so if it's you know you know pursue a career that is more stable and then look at if you want to grow your tiktok or your social media presence do 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 so as i said as a as a side hustle and and the big thing that that we're seeing from a trend standpoint and this is sort of the the web 3.0 and it's all about democratizing one's uh profession and sort of giving that access to others so you're seeing real breakout stars that are cpas that are just teaching people financial literacy and you know the value of what a tax return is or how you should think about savings or investing so you know that's you know i think taking your profession and then utilizing a platform like tiktok to bring it to the masses is is that's where I would go in terms of a, a, a you know a, a, from an opportunity standpoint. How how do you protect a brand from like a negative influencer, or is that impossible? <sighs> It's I mean, there's always trolls. Right. So, you know, with 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 any brand, you'll you'll have, you know, a, a fair amount of, of naysayers. And, and that comes. But there's not I mean, you just sort of it, it, to engage them is to only give it more oxygen and to only make that issue or that comment that much more uh, visible within the feed. So there's always a you know, it, it's my stance to to not give it the spotlight that it that it justifiably does not deserve. What about social media's impact on younger girls, teens, college 
age people or even like basically anybody who's sitting there having to look at themselves on Zoom all day long. And and the effects of of that, were there things that were happening in the industry that you thought were positive to try to help even parents deal with um, all the social media pressure that comes from well, I guess social well, media. Well, I think, you know, as, yeah, no, I'll answer, you know, two, two ways. One, I will say as a, as a professional, I think, you know, <laughs> Facebook is, is so wrong and how they so un, unbelievably did not do enough research and analytics in terms of how they, so, how that platform so negatively affects young girls in terms of eating disorders and then, you know, feeding them diet pills. I mean, that absolutely still is happening. And I think that's one of the great, uh, you know, uh, catastrophes in terms of, of, of Facebook. So I think that is a, it needs to have a, a reckoning um, and, 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 it, and it has to, you know, immediately, I think in terms of, you know, as a parent, how you manage it, it's, it's a, it's about, you know, putting guardrails on, you know, how much time they spend on the platform, you know, for, for TikTok, as, as a mother of an 11 year old girl, that that's how she interacts with her friends. So, you know, it's just so you, you can't, I don't think removing it is the answer, but I do think giving, um, you know, kind of putting those guardrails or those time frames uh, in, in place is, is important and not letting it just be sort of, you know, vapid, you know, watching, if you will. We'll be back with more of this interview after this. How has work from home affected uh, your work or work in the industry? Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's here to stay. I mean, I think in in many ways it has not only, um, I I, I would say one of the things that that gets a lot of, you know, oxygen in terms of news is, you know, work from home or in the office. But I would argue that that there's a sense of even, you know, kind of carving out your own hours. And, and I'm seeing that a lot with with my team members. You know, you can see where pockets of productivity work for them. And so this this sort of antiquated nine to five is over. And, and it's funny if you if you really research the nine to five, it was it was to accommodate factories. It, it really just is not is not it's not the modern kind of, you know, work hours. So I would mm-hmm. say that you're seeing, you know, not only a fluidity in terms of, you know, where and how you work, but but when you work. Uh, the, but with that said, I would also say, you know, you can't underestimate the value of being in person. And I do not believe you can build culture purely virtually. You know, you have to think about as a, as a company who's managing kind of a post-pandemic workforce, you know, how do you deliver purposeful meetings? How do you get people in the office to, especially a young person, I feel for young people that are, are recent graduates that are trying to assimilate into an organization that don't, you know, there is, every organization has sort of some, you know, political juggernaut or, you know, sort of sense about them. And you cannot pick up on that virtually. So I think it's important to be in the office I just think sort of the, the five day work week is, is yeah. dead as we know it. It's really interesting. Um, if there's a, anybody listening who maybe wants to break into the industry, is, are, is there anything that you suggest that they try to do? In terms of industry, like in, in, the, of, in the beauty industry, I mean, as, uh, that's the, obviously such yeah. a diverse uh, industry. And as you were mentioning, there's a lot of new independent brands. So you don't just have to work for some of the big companies like a, a Maybelline or something. I don't even know who right. owns Maybelline. There's like, it's confusing. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that, I, you know, I, I think one of the, the one, I think it is it, 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 the great resignation and sort of the great dispersion is making, um, you know, beauty, beauty companies are, are, are hiring um, because of how fast growth they are, because they're somewhat recession proof. So I think it's I think I think. You know, LinkedIn, I still think is probably of all the social media sites, one of the most underutilized in terms of its effectiveness and ability to really, you know, draw great talent uh, and qualified talent into uh, into job opportunities and and directly to the the people that hire. So I would say, you know, to utilize LinkedIn and certainly utilize your network, especially if you're in like a New York or an L.A., which is in the United States, where the majority of the beauty um, companies. companies and they're uh, are, are in fact headquartered so you know i would you i would definitely probably you know i i still think think you know thinking about both coasts in terms of if you want to work in the industry you have to be open to want to live in one of those those coasts for that's sure. super interesting because as you mentioned at the top you and i both grew up in the midwest um do you think that the beauty industry does enough to not just focus on the coasts of the country or does that not matter because everyone aspires to be glamorous I think I think every I think it I think they're, they're they appeal to 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 the base and you know to to trend I mean at the end of the day beauty beauty is a trend driven industry. So and notoriously, the cutting edge of trend has been on either coast. And so arguably, when that trend is in fact established and adopted, it, it does tend to kind of trickle into the, the to the rest of the country. So I would say that I think and I, and I think that's what consumers want want, you know, but it doesn't mean there's not great innovation um, and great design in other parts of the world. But I, I would say, you know, ju- it, it, our, it, uh, as, as New York is the financial capital of the world, uh, New York is also the beauty capital of the world. So it's I would liken it similarly to, to those. Let's take a different turn here. Um, would you mind telling everybody how we met? <laughs> So we met at the Glamour Magazine Top 10 College Women Dinner. And you want me to tell the story about? Yes, please. About my, okay, my story. So, so uh, I had uh, recently been on um, mat leave and I had been a That's fan maternity of the, leave? Maternity wow, leave. Wow, I yes, didn't know that slang. Yeah. <laughs> mat leave. It makes it sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> And so I would be home and I, I was there with my 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 oldest and I would, um, you know, religiously watch the five. And, you know, as one does, you, you create a connection as if we're already friends because I'm just watching you every single day. So I'm back at work and we um, at, at, at the time at L'Oreal and we were a big sponsor of the uh, Glamour of Top 10 College Women. And there was a I would call it like a, a stakeholder dinner with uh, many of the honorees in which Glamour recognized and honored with celebrities, talent, personalities, um, you know, politicos, et cetera. And I saw you from across the room, which was my, you know, celebrity crush and still is. <laughs> and um, I was going to the White House Correspondence Dinner and, in, in two weeks. And I had 
convince myself through a little bit of liquid courage that that's my opening line with you. I, 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 you were a correspondent, you were the, you know, press secretary that you'll have great advice on what I should wear. And so I mustered the courage to walk across the table and just introduce myself um, with the opening line that I was attending the white house correspondence dinner of which you said, Oh, you mean the nerd prom? Uh, so you were immediately disarming and we just, you know, and I just shared what a fan I was of your, and, and you, you know, what the work you were doing for women. I had read your book over maternity leave as well. Uh, your first one and the good news is. So, you know, I just felt this this kindredship and you, rep, you know, reciprocated with such kindness and generosity and uh, helped me. Well, uh, you're the I most charming person I think I know. I really do think you're one of the most charming people I know, truly. And I'm thrilled to become good friends with you. I think that it's interesting when you said you know, you plucked up the courage to come up to me. It's funny because even I need to pluck up courage to go up to people. And I, one of the things I say is that, especially now in the post-pandemic, work from home can be good. It's great for a lot of people. It's great. But if you want to grow your network and have people that you can rely on and call upon like this, you know, you and I have been friends for several years now, um, you have to get out there. You have to go yes. and meet some people. You have to force yourself to go to at least one networking event a month. I don't think that's a lot to ask. I truly don't. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, there, there would be two things that I always that that I think make up me to some extent. And one is and I think this can be adopted by anybody is position. Be the person that you've never met a stranger. Right. Just just you've never met a stranger and be constantly curious and be a fan, be a fan of anybody, because that truly I think to that that genuine curiosity and just, you know, you know, an, an infection to understand and get to know them and like and to compliment them in terms of their position within an organization or what their impact of their work um, has meant to you. You know, people tend to light up and are excited to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So if you're always a fan and you kind of think about yourself as never, you know, meeting a stranger, I think you'll be well poised to have that gumption to, to take that first step. Is there any advice that you were given early on that you find yourself repeating to others now? Oh, yes. Yeah. So (laughs) I would say there's several. I think, um, you know, one thing is and this is this is a quote and I love it. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. And I think that's I think you you, you get the point of that. I do. Oh, my gosh. I lived that for many years. everything's gonna be okay like just just relax like the story you tell yourself sometimes is so much worse or so off uh, in terms of what the situation is and you've just wasted you know all all that all that time um you know i would say also you know i often tell people you know to not fear change it's the only thing that's 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 ever constant and you know you can't control what happens to you but you can control how you react to it and you know that's always been you know and listen i i say this as if i'm you know, some expert at it, which I'm not. But if you just give yourself sort of the grace to realize, you know, this, you know, you don't have to show up for it, you know, at, at, a, at a 10. Um, and, and I think finally, I think one of my the, the one that I think is is most profound for, for young people, especially as they navigate their careers, is you don't work for uh, companies, you work for people. And I say that because, 
you know, in my throughout my career, I have made the conscious decision of working for some really dynamic individuals that maybe didn't have the sexiest role or it wasn't the sexiest account or client, but that person was dynamic and I ended up learning so much from them. So, you know, sometimes like the, the super exciting role that has a kind of a not great manager, um, you know, you're not going to you'll you're not going to get nearly as much as if you work for somebody who really inspires you. So, so keep that in mind, um, you know, and I think you can choose your managers now and, and choose how you want to, the people you spend, you know, so much time with. How do you think about mentors? I know that I know one of your mentors and I think she's amazing, Karen. Um, yes. But were there other people that you look to and think, wow, that really made a difference in my life? Because I also, I often think that you don't have to actually have a formal relationship with somebody to be your mentor. You can admire somebody and learn from them from afar, or you might, as you just mentioned, it might be somebody who you didn't anticipate to be a mentor because perhaps you know they work in accounting and you're in production, but they end up being a mentor non- nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's so many that, that, that come to mind, yourself included, you know, by the way, and you know what they all have is an unbelievably strong work ethic. They do the work. And I think sometimes, you know, you see that there's this expectation or this people think like it's, oh, it must have been easier how they've gotten there. Like everybody I know that is in a position of, of real success or, you know, leadership, you know, they, 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 they worked their tails off. And I think that um, I always, I'm reminded of that. Like you, you got to put, you got to put in the work. It did, it did not happen overnight for, for, for any of them. Um, and they've always been in a very growth mindset. They've always made decisions, not in terms of the, you know, making the decision for tomorrow, but making the decision for the future. And, you know, they were, they were calculated in a good way. And they often just said, yes, you know, a lot of great mentors I know took, you know, what would have been perceived as a lateral move within an organization because it was going to, you know, propel them into something else. And Sheryl Sandberg, you know, talks so much about that and and leaned, you know, lean in. And it's very, very, very true. I would also say, you know, one of the when I think about some some mentors and my and again, advice for young people. I think one of the most effective skills that people are going to corporations are going to require that is going to lead to a great trajectory in terms of success is your ability to drive consensus and to get people who do not work for you to do give you to, to do work for you because organizations are so are so flat. So the, the idea of integration and being able to mobilize and inspire and drive an idea on a team's forward that does not report directly into you is really the future sort of state of, of business. And those are very difficult, sometimes nuanced skills to have. So I think really thinking about that as a non-lateral, you know, d- you know, opportunity, I think is going to be, you know, super, super important. And I think all great leaders, you know, do that. And all great leaders, you know, are not necessarily obsessed with their own power, but rather, you know, inspiring those, you know, underneath them to achieve great things and to remove any kind of, uh, you know, barriers that, um, are in their way. More to come right after this. Are you able to talk about that decision that was a tough one to leave an established, huge, amazing, globally recognized brand like L'Oreal and then to go on and become an independent business owner and a very successful yeah. one at that? 
Yeah, well, you know, and, and you know my story, which I'll, I'll quickly kind of surmise in that, you know, I, I had loved Lori. I still love Lori. I'm, the, I'm the, 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 big, the biggest fan of the entire organization. It's a, a remarkable, remarkable place to work. And, you know, I was recruited from a, a, a private equity company who was, you know, building a portfolio of, of, uh, of businesses in um, uh, fashion, fashion resale, entertainment, and, and, and ultimately beauty. And it was a kind of a, you know, I, if I was ever going to sort of leap, you know, that was the time to do it because I really knew where I was going within, within L'Oreal, which was exciting, but also like, did I really want to know exactly where I was going to, you know, kind of end up over the next 10 years. And so I decided to kind of take this leap, if you will, because, and a lot of great mentors, you know, gave me advice to, to, to do so. What do you have to lose sort of thing? So, so I did it and was in, and, and successfully worked in this, you know, in, in, in incredibly, you know, kind of startup dynamic environment until the founder and sole investor was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and, and sadly passed away. And, and sort of the, the fund and sort of the, the businesses that were being incubated um, were dissolved. And so I found myself in this, you know, but it like, you know, complete, like an utter, you know, sort of, you know, tailspin of what, what am I going to do? And it was uh, a woman that I had hired uh, as my head of business development, who is my counterpart at Nielsen Swader, Kate Swader, who had such a skill set in terms of driving entrepreneur entre entrepreneurs and startups um, that really hooked in nicely to my experience of driving, you know, big global growth uh, businesses. So we decided to start Nielsen Swader as a brand accelerator and an integrated marketing comms agency that would service, you know, beauty, consumer products, biotech, healthcare, um, wellness, etc. So it was, you know, it was incredibly scary. And I remember when, you know, <laughs> I was sort of crying to Kate, like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, as a child, I suffered from, you know, you know, I grew up in a house that kind of had some financial insecurity and here I was, I'd left a major, you know, company I'd met, I, I had left a lot of money on the table and I was going to, you know, be an entrepreneur, which was such a, you know, I, you know, I don't know what, you know, how much we're going to make the first year or if I can, you know, <laughs> pay the mortgage like it was incredibly daunting and you know we were we we ended up being in our in, luckily and by you know the grace of god are so successful and, and are really really taking off but one of the things she said was you know one of the riskiest things anybody can do for themselves is have one source of income. And when you think about as a W-2 employee, which I still advocate for the great American corporation, mind you, that's the greatest, you know, institutor of wealth in this country. But, you know, it's it when when that goes, your your you know your your salary goes. And as an entrepreneur with you know many many clients, clients can come and go. But you know you're still kind of you know it's, you're diversified. Your revenue is diversified. And so I that kind of alleviated sort of some of those fears that I had uh, in terms of starting Nielsen Swader and kind of taking a second leap, you know, outside of private equity into into you know being a business owner. And um, if it wasn't for her and her leadership and sort of, you know, um, mentorship as, as my partner, I don't know if I if I could have done it. Um, and I remember calling you too, and telling you, should I, what should I do? And you're like, I think you should do it. I was like, are you sure? And you're like, yes. So I was like, okay. Well, I think the other thing is too, that we have, and we haven't mentioned Simon, your amazing husband, um, and having a life partner who you can rely on and allow that 
But, well, one, it can help you feel more comfortable taking a risk. Yeah. But you can also then feel like, oh, gosh, I'm, you know, especially if you're the, I don't, I'm not, for like in my, in our situation, um, yeah. for me and Peter, it was like, well, but can I, can I take a risk? Because what if I'm making more money? And yeah. that I think a lot of families and, and couples are going through that in the last several years. Although I feel like it's, I feel like the stigma of women making more than men is going away. I'm not suggesting that's your situation at all, but um, yeah, yeah. I do think on that, that financial insecurity and the financial anxiety is something that we as mentors can help others. Now, partly because we've gone through it. <laughs> I used to be so, pan- I used to pay my student loan and my car loan three months in advance because I was afraid I wouldn't have the money three months from now in order to pay. It was nonsense. Yeah. It was nonsense, but I did it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 one of those things. You know, you play. You know, as as somebody was sharing with me, you, you play this tape forward, right? And do you really think, Mora, as as the head of you know the integrated marketing team for L'Oreal Paris with a twenty year career, that you're just never going to get a job again? Right, I like, know. No, you know. But at the time, <laughs> that's the story I told yeah. myself. Oh my God, I'm just never going to work again. Right. And and it's preposterous, you know. And and I realized in that in that in that scenario because we made some decisions because I did I didn't bet on myself I did mm-hmm. I, I did not bet on myself and I think you, you have to believe and bet on yourself and realize you know so many people have great as you said you know if you're born in America you're already you know yeah. you, you won the lottery did. you've got family and friends people aren't going to let you you know go begging in the streets it's just it but yet that's how many people make decisions and um, in terms of not taking risk and and I think that you know that's that they, they've got to they've got let that go. We'll wrap it up soon. I do want to ask about your ability to be such a gracious, amazing person with these three beautiful children that you're raising and a dog. You used to also have chickens, but then now no more chickens. How do you do it all? Well, I, you know, I think balance is a myth. It's all about trade-offs. That's it. And, and you, you, you make, you make, you make a decision. You know, I have an amazing, I have an amazing husband um, I, I try not to, you know, beat myself up. I think, you know, com- comparing yourself to others, um, is the biggest way to be unhappy. So I, I try very, very hard not, not to do that. Um, but you surround yourself with really great people that support you, you know, and, and you, 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 you choose to spend your time on, on what matters. And, and, and that changes by the way, every day and sometimes every hour. So, you know, where I, you know, you know, one of my most important meetings, you know, could be a big presentation until I get a phone call from school that, you know, somebody's tested positive for COVID as a, for instance, right? Like, no, that, that's, that meeting's just, it's, it's just not as important. So you, it was a trade-off. So I think that's kind of, you know, kind of how, how everybody does it. And then that's whether you're a mother or a parent or, or anybody and, and just having kind of the, the resilience to give yourself some grace and to stop beating yourself up and comparing yourself to ridiculous standards that are totally manufactured and not real. Um, I don't know if you're able to, um, but don't you and your daughters have some sort of new nighttime tradition that is hilarious and funny and yeah. fabulous? <laughs> so, yes. So we uh, so uh, at night now, uh, I'll it, it, to kind of like wrap up the day. And, you know, because I sometimes feel like I don't spend as much time as I should. We do. We do tea time. So uh, and my husband, like, 
hey, my husband will, will make the little tea and then me, Mary and Kate will sit, uh, sit upstairs in, in our bed. And that's when we talk like they think it's they think they're Princess Kate from, you know, from, you know, London. And we'll <laughs> sit and we'll chat and, you know, we'll talk about their day. And it's like and it's, you know, it's, it's like 30 minutes and it's. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's everything. So that's been, and I don't do it every night, but I, you know, I try to do it, you know, three, two three nights a week, and it, it has meant so much to them. Um, they they will know, remember that forever. <laughs> I think so. I think I think it's so. a great idea, and I would love to have tea time with you guys sometime soon. Always, always. Right. Maura, thank you for your time, and congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.